Hello. Hi. Hey, I think this is working. Okay, so welcome everybody to the show that is my ultimate megamaniacal expansion, my personal ego trip, all encapsulated in one show. Now, before this begins, and welcome, I should say, to one at a time, ladies and gentlemen, before this begins, there are a few messages from me. So, listen, and come on back. Hello good people, my name is Ty, and before the episode begins I would just like to remind you once again that if you yourself would like to submit a question to me specifically, you can do so through the Roro and Company website. That is R-O-R-O and Company dot com. On with the show. Hello good people, my name is Ty Kramer Watson, and as you've no doubt heard from the incredible amount of messages, this is a show that is all about me. Now, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but in essence, it's my personal vent. It's my creative outlet unto the world. And this is the show in which I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, conduct whatever interviews I'd like to conduct, talk with whomever I'd like to, and just generally hang out, have a good time, look at whatever I want to look into. But today, as indicated by the title and the description, I am going to be going over something which I sent out a little bit ago in my episode on Machiavelli over on the A Social Experiment podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, you absolutely should. What are you doing? But yeah, I issued a Q&A request, or a challenge really, to anyone who would like to. I created the website, and the questions have been flooding in. Now, I've been told, these have been selected randomly for me, and have been placed in front of me here, and I've been told that uh, they're good questions, that, that they've weeded out some of the um, more... <laughs> that they've weeded out some of the more... F- How do I put this? The ones fetishizing my voice, really. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I think it's time I stop boring you and get into the episode. Hey Ty, my name is Sergey, and I enjoy your show. Thank you, Sergey. I was wondering, why do you think the definition of friend, colloquially at least, has changed? It seems as though the word friend has lost all meaning. Maybe I'm wrong, but in that case, what is a friend? Now, I know why this has been put in here. I've thought about this a lot recently. And a friend is an incredible... It's an incredible thing to think about. I mean, I'm assuming here, because I only have this question to go off of, but I've always considered a friend to be more of a brothers-in-arms sort of comrade, I don't know, reality, to look out onto the world. Now, that's just me. Maybe that definition is a little bit too specific, maybe it's too hard to achieve, I'm not really sure. But what I consider a friend is to be someone I can confide in almost with everything. And people say that they have multiple best friends. I think this is what they mean. They have multiple people who they actually would consider friends. But because their use of the word friend is so unbelievably all over the place, they have to go up a step to best friend in order to account for that. I don't know. From what I glean from your question, I think that I share much of the outlook that you do. I think it's a shame that the word friend has been used like this sort of laissez-faire all the time if there doesn't seem to be any sort of delineation there should be a difference or there should be a space i should say between acquaintance and friend i feel i feel that there should be a word or and maybe there is and maybe i'm just unknowledgeable um ignorant in this regard 
someone you've met that you know somewhat who maybe you enjoy hanging out with but who isn't quite in the capacity or realm of a friend so first of all before i begin to answer this question in depth let me look up the dictionary definition or at least what google gives me in the way of searching up friend okay here we go a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection typically exclusive of sexual or family relations okay yeah i mean that makes sense I mean, it makes sense in so far as that it's current modern day age. And I'm not trying to, when I dissect this, I'm not trying to formulate my truth. Or I guess I am in a sense, but I really hate that phrase. I'm not trying to change fact. Obviously, that is the definition. Take it for what you will. I'm not happy with it. That doesn't mean I don't accept it. My personal feelings on the word friendship and being in a relationship like that are very, very powerful. It's like people throw around love too easily as well. And that's a whole nother question, what I, what I think about that in this context. But the word friend, I've thought about this a lot, as I've said. And I think that it's two people who could, with the information they have on each other, destroy each other at any minute. And this is the first part of my label. This is the first part of my definition. And the reason I choose this is because you want someone that you can confide absolutely everything to. And I know there are a few people that I would consider friends that were they to go, not public necessarily, but were they to step out with my information or with things I've done, it might make things a little bit uncomfortable or might make things a little bit bad for me, let's just say. Might get some looks. But two people that have the capacity to rend each other apart in the public space, be that a secret they each have or what have you. Both parties need to have this information on the other, or else it's a one-sided friendship, which I don't even consider that a friendship. But, so that is the first part of the definition. Two people who could tear each other limb from limb in the public space should they want to with the information they possess. Secondly, this person needs to be someone that you trust wholeheartedly never to do that. That This obviously is the essence of friendship that I think that we're all driving towards. It's the honesty factor, which is so apparent in so many relationships, so many examples of any human contact ever. Everybody's yearning and searching for this honest person, this honest character. And a few of us, or I should say, few of us ever find that person. It's interesting, there are 7 billion plus people on this planet, and still, it's hard to find an honest person. It's very interesting. And then, again, that's an entirely different question as to whether or not that's nurture or has anything to do with the world we grew up in, whether it's possible to have a race of people who don't lie willingly. Let me backtrack a little bit. What we have so far is, one, a person who, or rather two people, who have information on each other that could decimate each other. At a, at a moment's thought, and secondly, two people who trust each other never to do this thing, who trust each other with that incredibly personal information, the most personal information they have to them. Trust them never to do that. And then, of course, this is the part of the Google definition of friend that I most agree with, someone that you need to like, in essence. <laughs> I mean, that's the absolute foundation of any relationship. It's just somebody that you like, be it their hair, be it the way they carry themselves. You like this person. That much is apparent. And then you build off of that. But that foundation, that building block needs to be there. Even if it's something as 
surface level as you like their looks or you like their voice. This is the essence of any human relationship, this likability, that X factor. But yeah, those are my three criteria for friend. Someone who you like to be around, who you want to be around, and who has an incredible amount of information to destroy you, and who you trust with your entire life never to spew this information into the public domain. Now, how close that is to the definition they give, it's pretty close, actually. But it's just a step up. Again, looking for that more comrade, blood brother, something that I've heard go woefully out of fashion, something that I haven't heard in literally years, bosom friend. I think I heard that one, like one time or something. But uh, it really speaks to what I'm talking about, a friend that you hold close to the heart or a friend that you hold to your bosom. Makes sense. Thank you for the question, though. I've been thinking about that a lot recently, and I'm, it's good to sort of get that information out there onto whatever this is. Hey, Ty, my name is Emma, and I was wondering what motivates you to work the way you do. <laughs> Thank you. This is an incredibly flattering question, and I'm not going to strangle the producer who made this list. But firstly, one, I, I don't work that hard. I could be working a lot harder, and I, I've been really dropping the ball this summer, but uh, I've had other things going on, travel, etc. But anyways, so what motivates me the most, it has to be watching other people succeed over me. <laughs> I just hate that. I hate that. I have a few friends who are very, very successful, or who are very, very successful and younger than me, especially. That's what really digs into me. And it's that drive to not be a loser. <laughs> To, to put something out, if not for society, then for my own benefit, to make me feel contented, to sate my own ego, to stroke it a little bit. And that's really, unfortunately, I, I hope that, I hope you weren't looking for a different answer. But yeah, Emma, that is what motivates me the most. Other people succeeding and watching them and being jealous, essentially. Jealousy is my motivation. Hello, Ty. My name is Charlie, and I was wondering why you think others would want to listen to you. This is an excellent question, and I might just strangle the producer anyways. So, why do I think people might want to listen to me? Well, if you've made it this far in the show, maybe you have some idea. One, in order to write me this, you needed to be so obsessed with asking me this question that you needed to listen to the Machiavelli show, because that's the only time I promoted this, go to the website, and send me a contact. <laughs> so maybe you actually have some idea. But uh, I think, I ultimately, boiling it down, I don't think that other people would want to listen to me. I mean, obviously, again, 7 billion plus people, I think there are a handful of people who would want to listen to me. They are the people who would listen to anybody. This is really more for me, and the followers that come, let them come, but it's just a fun sort of creative exercise for me, and again, something that makes me feel a little bit productive to get my mind off of death once in a while. But yes, Charlie, thank you. Good question. Hey there, Ty. My name is Kate, and I was wondering why you like philosophy. Oh, and what is your favorite subject, if not philosophy? Thank you, Kate. I appreciate it. But I love philosophy. That That is my favorite subject. And as far as, well, I love the humanities if you're looking just at a school perspective. I absolutely love the humanities, even economics, which I know a lot of people find 
boring and all of that. But the thing about economics that's so interesting, as is philosophy, as is psychology, it all deals with the human condition. It all deals with the human mind, and especially social psychology. That's what very much interests me. And when you take a subject like philosophy, and you look at its humanistic tendency, because the grand questions of philosophy are always human-based. It's, what will happen to me, or what does this mean in relation to me? That's the grand question of philosophy. What are we doing here in this plane? That is the ultimate question. What is the meaning of life? Often tossed around. But, uh, yeah, what is the meaning of life to me, to a human? Is there a meaning of life as it relates to me? So, it's my favorite subject because it relates to not only me, but everybody. To me, I think humans are one of the most fascinating things on the planet, if only for the reason that we've gotten ourselves here to the point where I can broadcast this thought to you. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable thing right there. But yeah, studying the human condition is something which never fails to fascinate me. But thank you, Kate. I love the question. Hi, Ty. My name is I feel as though I'm completely empty. And writing this has probably been the most productive thing I've done in a while. I'm looking for some meaning in this life, but I'm finding nothing. No romantic experience, no motivation whatsoever, and an ever-decreasing amount of friends. I didn't used to be like this, but suddenly since I lost my job, everything feels like it's out of my control. Why live if there is no meaning? And how can there be meaning when all of us are constantly out in different directions and hurting one another? Well... Firstly, before I go on, I would kindly like to ask my editor to please bleep out that name. I think that we've all been in your position. It's that sense that everything is out of your control, and this was just going back to the philosophy thing of how does everything relate to me? It's that sense of the world passing you by and not you interjecting yourself. And that's what it comes down to. Everything feels like it's out of your control, and this is the main cause for your pseudo-depression. The main thing that human beings need in this life in order to be happy, the one criteria, is stability. Stability wherever you find it, stability whatever that means to you, but stability nonetheless. So it's controlling what you can control and trying your absolute hardest to let everything else go. Start by controlling what you can. Start by making your own appointments, forging your own destiny. And I know that's easier said than done, and it's breaking that inertia which is especially difficult which is why I'm asking you to take baby steps, which is why I'm asking you to look at the desk in front of you, pick up that cup or what have you, walk it to the sink or walk it to the trash bin and just start cleaning and controlling what it is that you can control. No matter what kind of space you have, whether you be homeless in a penthouse or in an apartment in New York City, control what you can control and that will grant you endless happiness compared to where you are now. Also, don't be afraid to reach out to those closest to you. You say you have an ever-decreasing amount of friends. Well, hopefully the, I hate to say true friends, but hopefully friends who have been with you the longest or who know you the best will always try and help you out. And always be careful to direct your energy in a certain direction. And if you know that you will be hostile to somebody because of an external threat or an external condition, know that about yourself and don't communicate with your friends. Send a very curt text explaining, hey, I need to have some time for myself right now. I don't want to be hostile towards you. Be very honest. Honesty is the key to everything in life, at least as it relates to interacting with other human beings. But that is ultimately my advice. Control what you can control. 
And don't search for romantic experience. Let it come to you. First, get a hold of yourself before you look for others. Don't drag others down. Be an incredible person before you go out looking for somebody. Because ultimately, you are attaching yourself to somebody, and they are attaching themselves to you in a romantic relationship. Whichever one of you is in a worse state of mind or in a worse state of physical health will ultimately drag the other down. And it's very egotistical to go out and hook yourself to somebody if you know that you are in this state. So just control what you can control, and I hope it gets better. If you're hearing this right now, I wish you the absolute best, and I will be following up with you by email. Hi, Tai Tai. Okay, getting awfully informal now. Hi, Tai Tai. My name is Beth, and I was wondering which theory of Machiavelli's work you personally believe. Okay, well, this is an extremely vague question, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. I assume you're talking about The Prince. That's the only episode I've done on Machiavelli's work. Surrounding The Prince, a little bit of context for those who don't know or are listening to me for the first time. Machiavelli's The Prince... It has a bunch of running theories around it because the idea goes it's such an evil piece of work that he could not have been writing it seriously. That's one of the ideas, at least. So the main schools of thought on this are, one, he meant every word, and he was truly thinking like this. Two, he didn't mean a word of it, and he was trying to take down the Medici family from the inside and give it to this prince who would then read it and crush his own empire for a sort of revenge, or he's giving it to the family, knowing that the prince will be smart enough to sort of read past it and find the inner truth that Machiavelli is intending. Now, what that inner truth is, we obviously don't know unless we find some long-buried note of his which explains this is exactly what I intended by the prince. So out of these three theories, what do I personally believe? I believe, or I guess I... Since there's no proof any which way, I would like to believe that he meant every word of it. Because there are bits of it which are factual. Just because some of it seems evil and tyrannical and all of this, it doesn't discount the fact, or rather I should say, it doesn't discount or throw out all of the work. And even in the bits that are most cruel, you may see a grain of truth to them. So I personally believe that he meant every word. Now, it, this gets very tricky because he does point to certain tyrants in the book which did not go too well, which might point to the third theory that he was looking to have the prince look through it to find the hidden intent. Because why else would he point to tyrants who specifically got overthrown or, as I say, generally didn't do too well in their career as a tyrant? So it's very interesting. But those parts are few and far between. And even though he does reference some characters very often, I think he's admiring traits about them and not their entire saga. He may think that they have done other things that are wrong. But the thing about Machiavelli is because he has written this so far out there work, this um, such unorthodox piece of literature, he is open to this kind of interpretation, much like Friedrich Nietzsche. And it's hard to dissect that without any proof, but it is fun to conceptualize. So yes, the ultimate answer is I believe I am of the first school of thought that he meant all of it, or at least like 99% of it. Hello Ty, my name is Noah, and I was wondering why you haven't gone into an episode covering the Ubermensch yet. I would like to, is the short, is the short answer, and thank you Noah for this question, but I... 
Yeah, it's tough because there's so much there and it's so popular. The reason I haven't done it is because everybody covers the Ubermensch and I didn't want to be that guy. That being said, everybody covers Nietzsche and he's my favorite philosopher as he is everybody's. So it's hard to say, really. You need to admire the guy whether you love him or hate him. But the Ubermensch is a very interesting topic and I love the spoke Zarathustra and I would love to dive into it. And the answer I'm going to give you is I've been looking into it and it's probably going to happen. I'm probably going to do an episode on the Ubermensch. But thank you. I, I always love talking about that stuff. Hello, Ty. My name is Jack. And I was wondering why you have such a fascination with Nietzsche when he was the voice of the Nazi movement. Two Nietzsche questions in a row. Of very different nature, I must say. So Nietzsche, this is very important to note. This is very important to look at and dissect. Nietzsche, it's been debunked several times over, is not a Nazi. Nietzsche just simply isn't a Nazi. You know who was a Nazi? His sister and her husband. Hence why he disliked them so intensely. But he had to go under their care when he was sort of losing it in his later stages of life because they were the closest family. So it's tough. He definitely didn't hate the Jews in any capacity. In fact, he's an anti-anti-Semite to the point where he crushed his strongest relationship ever with Wagner, primarily because Wagner was anti-Semitic. Same problem he has with Schopenhauer and many other great thinkers who he looks to in the early stages of his career as being like the next messiah. I could see an argument being made for his loving of fascism, but then there is an equally weighted argument that says that he doesn't like fascism necessarily, and he spoke out against the Germans several times. That's not to say he didn't like the ideals of the Nazi movement, but he certainly didn't like the German people, and he would not have been a voice of the Nazi movement in its Germanic origin, or I should say Austrian origin, Germanic brought up. So no, Nietzsche was not a Nazi, and this is very, this is very important to realize. I thought that this theory had almost been beaten down by now. His views were contorted, especially in The Will to Power, which is an unpolished set of notes published by who else but his sister. And we know his sister to be Nazi-leaning. That work we can't really trust. So if we throw out The Will to Power, or at least if we take The Will to Power with an incredibly heavy hand of salt, we can start to see and dissect his work and see that he isn't a Nazi truth be told, especially in his letters and just his goings from day to day. That's especially important, his actual life. But no, good question. I'm glad I got to talk on that because he's not a Nazi. Hey Ty, my name is Powell, and I was wondering, very simple philosophy question, do you think humans have meaning? Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh no. Oh boy. Oh goodness. Okay. So do I think humans have meaning? Short answer, no, or at least heavily no-leaning. I don't think that humans have meaning. I think meaning is what you make of it, however cliché, I guess, that is. Humans have whatever meaning they choose to have. And the reason I believe this is because you see so many people going in different directions doing different things. Why would there be a divine meaning? And if you look at it from a Hegelian Geist perspective, or a Christian, I should say religious idea of this divine plan, even then it doesn't truly shape up. The Geist 
as presented by Hegel, is nowhere based in fact. It's a theory, which you could accept or you could not accept. But it's not like we should take that and put all of our faith behind it just because it was said. I don't, as of right now, think humans have meaning. But I would love to do an episode later on. Maybe I bring somebody on talking about just that thing. It's a very, very deep topic, and there are a lot of facets of it to explore. But I appreciate the question, and now that that's brought to my mind, I'll actually write a note or uh, have somebody write a note that I'll do an episode on that. Thank you. Hello, Ty. My name is James, and I was wondering... <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that. Your name is James, and I was wondering what your stance is on religion. My goodness, another incredibly deep question. So my stance on religion, as far as whether it has had a net positive or net negative on this planet, I believe that religion, well, it's difficult to estimate because on the one hand, its advancement to Western culture cannot be underplayed in the very slightest. It was one of the sole things contributing to an actual flowing, running society. The idea that we are all stood around this one purpose, this one faith. Am I religious? Not particularly. I'm agnostic. What my stance is on religion, I'm going to view this as whether or not I think it's an overall positive or negative force to the world. And that's tough to know. I think with the coming of the Newtonian age and God is dead and we have killed him, all that, yada yada, speaking of Nietzsche, I think that in the new age, religion has been more harm than it has been good. I would say, I would put my money on. In the past, now that's very much up for debate. Of course, you have the Crusades and everything, which were really a retaliation to another religious movement. It's hard to know. People will war without religion, though. That's definitely there. And structure, again, cannot be underrepresented, the amount of structure provided by religion, especially when you look at empires such as uh, the Vatican. I will say, ultimately, I think it's been a net negative to human existence. I know I'm going to get blasted for that, and I would love to, again, have somebody else on the show to talk about that in more depth, but my ultimate stance on it right now is that religion, if only by a slight margin, has been a net negative on this world. And that isn't to say that, again, it hasn't done some positive, it's done a lot of positive. You have to look at everything that's been done in the name of religion. Hello, Ty. My name is Winston, and I enjoy the show. Thank you, Winston. What kind of music do you listen to? Well, okay. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. I listen to, and this is unironic, I listen to 1920s swing. And I listen to a lot of big band music. I love big band music. I really do. And if I had to give a modern example of, well, Seth MacFarlane is bringing back a lot of big band stuff, isn't he? He has a lot of big band sort of soundtracks and everything that he's done, which I, I appreciate. I love big band music and I love 1920s sing. Swing. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Sing, Sing, Sing by Benny Goodman when I said that. But um, yes, 1920s swing. There's also a version called Electro Swing, which is a sort of neo swing invented fairly recently that is, I believe, gaining in popularity. But I also enjoy listening to that. That's not to say I enjoy listening to any other version of electro music. I don't know. My, my, sense of music taste is extremely conservative, as is my fashion sense. There's your answer. I hope it was not disappointing. I don't listen to much Drake these days, I'm sorry to say. Hey Ty, my name is Emily, and I'm a huge fan. Thank you. I was wondering what, if any, big projects you can talk about for the company. Okay, I really can't. 
I really can't. I really can't. I really want to get the Shakespeare podcast started again. Now, those of you who have followed me from even before Roro and Company, I very much applaud you. It was very few of you, um, relatively. But I, I really want to get a Shakespeare podcast going again. Much like philosophy, Shakespeare is another passion of mine, and I love researching it. I love talking about it. I love going into it. And to find a co-host would be excellent to sort of delve into that. I think it's fun to bounce off of other people, especially when you're talking about Shakespeare. Shakespeare is a thing best performed. It's not best when read by yourself, I feel. But yeah, I'd love to do that. That would be so fun. Thank you, Emily. So that that is the only big project I could talk about right now. There is another huge project in the works that's going to take so, so much time. But hopefully I think it's worth it. I'm kind of excited. I'm very excited. Hi, Ty. My name's Amelia. I was wondering if you're single. <laughs> okay. All right. Back we are. Hey, Ty. My name's But please don't... <laughs> Whoops. All right. Yeah. Uh... Bleep that out. Hey, Ty, my name's Please don't put it in if you read this question. I was recently in a relationship that ended with who was and is the love of my life. I went out to a bar with a few friends of mine and we all got drunk. A friend of mine got a bit too handsy and we were both drunk so I didn't think anything of it. Now keep in mind I was extremely drunk here. We were celebrating the milestone of a project I've been working on with this friend that I've mentioned. I kind of lost myself and blacked out before waking up in bed with this person the next morning. Once my boyfriend found out, he broke up with me even though I tried to explain how much of a mistake it was and how sorry I am that it all had happened. I don't know, Ty. I didn't even know it happened until I had woken up the next morning. I truly love my boyfriend with all my heart. Is there any way I can get him back or be redeemed from this? Firstly, I'm extremely sorry that this has happened to you. It's an incredibly rough thing to go through for all parties involved, especially, might I add, you and your boyfriend, but your boyfriend more so. I mean, think about it from his perspective. He thinks that he's just been cheated on. Well, he knows that he just has been cheated on. It's rough. And unfortunately for you, I have an extremely conservative view when it comes to this. That relationship is almost sacred. And when you cheat with another person, be it accidental or no, you are breaking an incredible trust, an incredible foundation that cannot be replaced. Now, whether your boyfriend takes you back, that's completely up to him. I cannot speculate at all. I don't know you at all besides this question, but the very fact that you're reaching out means that you care, which may imply that he will take you back. Time will tell. But is there any way you can be redeemed from this? Absolutely, 100%. You will 100% be redeemed from this. I don't know how old you are. People make mistakes especially in their younger years, especially in your 20s. Asking somebody to lock down in your 20s for a marriage or a long-term relationship is a difficult thing to do. People do it, and I'm not saying that just because it's a difficult thing to do means that you are exempt from this sort of social retaliation, but it does mean that you will, of course, be redeemed for this, from this, I should say. If you really truly think he's the love of your life, try your absolute hardest. But personally, and you asked for my opinion, and I do apologize, <laughs> I think you messed up. Even if you woke up the next morning in the bed and you had no idea that you had even slept with this guy, you still put yourself in that position. And you still decided to go out with a friend who would do this to you. To go out to a bar 
and even you say that he was handsy and you didn't think anything of it. It's putting yourself in that position, and I'm not blaming the victim here, but the victim in this very particular case, I'm sorry, would have to be your boyfriend. And you can say that, yes, of course, you were victimized in some sense, that you weren't in control of all of your faculties. That makes some sense. There could be an argument made for that. I hope it works out, but uh, I am sorry. Hey, Ty, my name is Jack Lean, and I was wondering who your favorite philosopher is. My favorite philosopher is Friedrich Nietzsche. And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It, he's everybody's favorite philosopher. I know it's a boring answer, but he truly is fascinating to me. He's open to so many different interpretations, and he's so brash and brazen in the way he conducts himself, you can't help but admire him even if you disagree with what he's written down. And I think that there is some grain of truth to almost, well, it's definitely littered throughout all of his writings, but it's that hard-hitting information that really knocks me off my feet. What else can I say? It's truly interesting. And Nietzsche's The Antichrist as well, an incredible, incredible book. And thus spake Zarathustra. He does get very frustrating at times. And I, of course, do not agree at all with his ad hominem attacks and things of that nature, which do very much frustrate me. If I had to pick others, my favorite philosopher, I would have to say Hegel. I, I am a fan of Hegel. And I think that the Geist is a fascinating concept. And that sort of pseudo-solipsism that encapsulates humankind, I think, is an incredible idea to even have. An incredible example of original thought. And I think that's what I like most in my philosophers. Original thought, or original takes on thought. Nothing is truly original, at least in my estimation. But it's incredible. I do love Nietzsche's work, and he has a lot of works to dive into. So thank you for the question. Hello, Ty. My name is Adam. I'm messaging to ask who you most look up to, if you have any role models. Now, what's funny is I haven't really thought about this, actually, before. That's tough to say. That's very tough to say. There are definitely people that I look up to, but no one that I would consider a role model. Definitely. That's the first thing. And if I had to go people that are alive currently, oh, that's very difficult. I think I always admire people with extremely excellent oratory skills. Just able to talk and talk and talk without any sort of interruption. I think that's really key to any sort of coherent argument. Or at least having your argument sound coherent. But yeah, I unfortunately I cannot give you any role models. If I had to look at dead people, of course there are a whole host of people whom I admire. But I would have to go... Hmm, I think Dostoevsky. I think Dostoevsky. But thank you for the question, I appreciate it. Hello, Ty. My name is God. I was wondering if you would like to promote all of your Roro and Company social media. Well, thank you, God. Of course I would. Oh my goodness. This is so nice of you to uh, stop by the show. But yeah, I... So, we have an Instagram, by the way, if you haven't seen it. We have a Twitter, by the way, if you haven't seen it. And uh, yeah, go to the Roro and Company website if you yourself would like to submit a question. I'm always up to answering questions, and I love interacting with you people I don't get to enough, and it just warms my heart whenever I see your messages. That much is certainly true. But yeah, all I can say is thank you, everybody, for making all this possible, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the end of this episode. It's, I, I hope it was at least semi-entertaining for you, but uh, yeah, I love you people, and go check all that stuff out. And whatever links are in the description helps me out more than you could possibly know. And support the show. But uh, yeah, follow. 
Good night.